It's not fair. Really. If you think about it, it's one thing to be immensely talented at one creative endeavor. But nowadays, everyone's an overachiever, am I right? This is another installment of Drinking About Design, a journey into the less explored aspects of design, art, and architecture while drinking. This is uh, <laughs> so true. This installment is a fun one for a litany of reasons and not just because we're drinking. But that doesn't hurt. Just to set the record straight and set the table for you, in the summer of 2020, the pandemic was in full effect. We were all locked in and trying to figure out what was going to happen next. You remember. You were there. You were doing the exact same thing. So besides the day drinking and looking up old friends on Facebook, because I'm sure I wasn't the only one. I was trying to learn new ways to be socially engaged. One of the things I did during that time was binge watch drunk history. By the way, let me back up. What I'm about to tell you was not being socially engaged. It was as uh, about as isolated as one could possibly be. But as a side note, one of the things I did during that time was uh, binge watch drunk history, Dinner for Five, and Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown as well as uh, no reservations required, groundbreaking shows that I never could find the time to binge watch before. I became enamored with the skill by which Anthony Bourdain found a complete language revolving around food and association to society, how John Favreau could take four celebrities and craft a vibrant tableau out of each of the stories shared around the table. How Derek Waters told stories through the honest interpretations of historical events, through the drunken lens of comics woven together as a tapestry featuring some of the funniest people alive. Then, all of a sudden, it was over. Things opened up uh, all at once, and we all got busy. Really busy. I've been missing some of those evenings at the virtual bar. Well, let me back up. At the same time, I opened a virtual bar called Big D Energy. Uh, by the way, Big Design Energy for my hip-hop loving friends. I wouldn't want to, you to, uh, to get the wrong idea. But as everything opened, things opened up all at once, I, and we all got really busy. I, I just, I missed those evenings at the Big D Energy. So... I wanted to create something to relive that. Now, this installment is a fun one and features Michael Ember, Enki Barnes, Steve Rugo, uh, Tom Kligerman, and Douglas Wright. Five architects, friends with a passion for whiskey and a love for painting in watercolor, as well as this architecture thing they do. Some are better at it than others. I I'm talking about the painting. And I'm not going to say who. <laughs> but they will. So anyway, these five creatives are extremely accomplished in their chosen profession. They're extraordinary talented artists and amazing architects. They are well-traveled. And we talk about this, gosh, and so much more. Welcome to the Big D Energy, a virtual pub at the sketchy outs, uh, outskirts of the internet. We're talking about art, architecture, travel, 
and having fun with a few pops amongst friends. Cozy up to the bar, grab a drink, and enjoy this conversation with the Whiskey Watercolor Club. I love this, too, because Steve's going to show up, and we're going to be halfway through this. Oh, there he is. Hi, Steve. Uh, uh, <laughs> I All right. So here's the premise, and I will, I will set the ta- table accordingly uh, for, those, for those listening or watching. Um, this is a fun episode of Drinking About Design. As you may remember, I started this series because I am a huge fan of Anthony Bourdain's um, as well as Drunk History, as well as Table for Five with John Favreau. And beginning in the in the pandemic, during the pandemic, you know, this kind of thing started where friends and I who are in the biz would just kind of get together on a Friday afternoon and drink well into uh, into the morning and, you know, thinking about things talking about things and it, it, you know, a couple of years later, so we got totally busy. Then I, I thought, you know what? I really want to do this again. This one is super fun. Um, I have no idea where it's going to go. I'm going to set this thing up though. The way I, I kind of established the, the premise for the show was I said, Hey, I'm going to send you guys some ideas and I would love for you to tell me, you know, tell me the story. We're going to have some pop. Uh, you know, some pops and we're going to drink a little bit and, and you're going to tell me the story. And the response I got back was, yeah, no, we don't like that idea. Um, no, that one doesn't work either. No, I really don't want to talk about that. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to be a bystander on this one. Um, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to lead it loosely. But, you know, I'm I have no idea where this is going. So first thing I want to do is I want to find out what everybody's drinking and after that i want you to tell me the story about the whiskey watercolor club did i get that right whiskey watercolor yes. club yeah so i want you to tell me the story but michael what are, what are we drinking today i'm i'm drinking going going okay you're purist you're going simple purist i'm i'm the only purist here evidently <laughs> michael rocks, <laughs> i love no it rock single rock on the rocks on the rocks. all right so you're early. almost a purist. purist you're almost a purist <laughs> i can see how this is gonna go all right tom <laughs> <laughs> I, I made up a little concoction. I, I I made an old fashioned out of um Knob Creek. Out of their fancy sort of I forget what it is. It's one of the black label. It was I just found it in the back of my liquor cabinet, it looked fancy. And um I'm trying instead of simple syrup, I'm trying agave syrup because I think I might have a slightly mellowing effect. Um maraschino cherry, and I didn't have an orange peel, so I squished up a uh, piece of tangerine and threw it in there and it's it's pretty good love it anki yeah and beautiful i have a version of an old-fashioned as well and uh, mine is uh using the uh irish lambay whiskey from the ireland in uh the island in ireland that we were all on about four months ago and instead of simple syrup i'm using lavender honey mixed with water i have one of those cherries and um five drops of bitters and a slice of orange peel nice doug uh well as the youngest guy of the group i'm not having an old fashioned um (laughs) i scrambled and found um some fantastic um tequila some casamigos tequila and margarita mix in my office which i'm very glad we have not a full bar but a bit of a bar and uh, so I'm having a margarita. Love it. Steve? Uh, I'm going down a little different path, which is just straight up uh, 
hollow spot Irish whiskey because that's what was in the office left over for something. So that was our that was the day, or there was a vodka. I feel sorry for Doug and Steve who are in the office. You know, Michael and I and Anki are like at our summer houses or something. I'm in the office, Tom, unfortunately. That doesn't look like the office. That looks like a vacation place. That's my office. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers everybody. Cheers. Cheers. So in honor of you guys, um, I was trying something new. The whiskey's not new. Uh, Oak and Eden. Oh, yeah. Love this, and and I was sharing this before. Um, it's kind of a gimmicky thing, but it has a it has a, a five inch spire of toasted oak in there. It's very very good, kind of woodsy. And I found this. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this before. Bitter milk. No, um, number six, which is the uh, Oaxacan old fashioned. So I've got I've got the oak and Eden with a little bit of that. Uh, it's generally about three or four parts to one, and then a, uh, a, a twist of lime. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it is absolutely, it's amazing. It's actually really good. Highly recommended. Okay. So the Whiskey Watercolor Club, um, who, who started this? It, it was uh, absolutely a joint effort. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know, but there's always a ring. There's always a ring. Anki's wife gets gets the credit for putting the idea together. You want to okay. tell us about that, Anki? Yep. So we um, four of us, I think, were on a trip to India looking at the architecture of Sir Edmund Luckins. When COVID hit, we got halfway through the trip and we all had to run home when the presidents of all the countries were closing the countries. We scrambled home and we'd just been getting up every morning, sitting in front of a temple or a, a well and painting and sketching and carrying on and drinking together. And we were all in the doldrums as COVID closed us all down. And I was whining about it to my wife, Fran, and she said, well, what's wrong with you guys? You guys can paint together on Zoom. And so we decided to start our Sunday afternoon tradition. And I think yep. that Tom came up with a name, right, Tom? I, I think Michael came up with the name because I had a I had a good name in mind, but I think Michael ended up naming it. <laughs> and, I, and I know it was Michael because he misspelled whiskey. Depends where you are, Tom. The other thing, the other thing I'd like to add, I think we didn't we initially get together just to talk. I don't think we initially intended to paint. I no, think at the end we said, hey, why don't we meet a week later? This was great. And maybe we could do something. But also remember, it wasn't just Sunday afternoons. I think early on when, when the pandemic hit, yeah. we were painting randomly, like in the you know, yeah. evenings, Wednesdays. That's not right. only were we painting sort of, you know, three in the afternoon in the middle of the week on Wednesdays, we were right. drinking at three in the afternoon on right. Wednesdays, we were. which true. was one of the silver linings of, of COVID. Well, and the other thing that was really fun <laughs> that we were doing was texting uh we very quickly formed a text group uh and it has the little icon of a whiskey and a glass as well but we would start sending pictures throughout the day like oh let's paint this let's try this and you know there'd be whole comments about you know oh that sky's too difficult or you know 
Michael, of course, knew how to paint it. None of us did, but you know, <laughs> figured it yeah, out. So it, it it started out, I guess, as a therapy session. Yeah. You know, therapy uh, with art. Using alcohol to solve all our problems. Yeah. And ended up turning into a painting session. Yeah. You know, but in a way, it, it is a painting session and not to get too sort of, you know, emotional, but it's become, it has become a really good friends group also. Definitely. And so even I think even when we, if we don't get a chance to paint, we can fall back on drinking and uh, or just having a conversation. And um, we're having oh, these ridiculous so texts. I mean, I, I open my phone and it says something like 54 texts. And, oh, yeah. I, and yeah. one is from like my daughter and 53 are from these guys. <laughs> but even better, like I have a teenage daughter and I would have more texts text notifications on my phone than she did yeah. <laughs> yeah, friend. you couldn't show her any of them yeah, yeah. exactly yes i would say they're pretty rated i think they're pg or g definitely, definitely. so let me back up a, let, yeah. let me back up a second yeah when when did the when did the painting start and i'm and i'm curious as to the origin of it because i think it's really interesting to have creatives who who are exceptional at what they do professionally to take on a, a, a side creative activity for, for the purpose of pleasure is, you know, cause none of you, and, and listen, maybe you guys consider yourselves professional artists. And if you do, that's wonderful. But no, I mean, but it sounds like this is something that is part therapy, part hobby, part, part camaraderie. It's more than that because, you know, architects have always drawn and it, we've always considered it a, an important part of who we are. Yeah, but the problem is, is we're all busy and, and we've kind of kind of shoved that aside for running our offices and, you know, the everyday life of uh, the profession. And I think uh, we were all going over for a trip to England and staying at one of Lutchen's houses, Goddard's. And I don't know whose idea it was, but somebody said, maybe Tom said, yeah, let's all bring our paints. And so we all brought our paints over and we ended up you know, sitting out on the lawn, there was frost on our on the bushes and frost on the paper. But we just enjoyed doing it together. And so well, and I, we were out at like 5 30, 6 yeah. in the morning before <laughs> the regular trip would start. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we'd end up in the kitchen, you know, drinking and, and painting at right. six in the morning. <laughs> Well, we were drinking tea and coffee at six in the morning. <laughs> well, so we, drinking, don't want to, we don't want to get a bad reputation. We were right. drinking tea. Yeah. Spike. Yeah, but then, a, little, a little late for that, Tom. Yeah. yeah. A little late for that. So I, I find that really interesting. Now, how does that um how does that affect what you what you do now? Because I imagine as tight as this group is, you've been doing this for a couple of years now. So this has got to be something that is of, right of primary year. importance to what you guys, you know, it's part of life now. Well, we've gotten better at one or the other drinking or water car. Yeah, it depends on who we are. Well, I would say that, you know, here's, here's, here's the difference between all of us and Michael Ember. Michael Ember has been doing this since he was like three because his aunt was a painter, maybe his grandmother. There's, the rest of us, at least I, I, I speak for myself, I only started this right around the time we started going to, you know, on these trips, which is about 2019. So, but, you know, to your point, we, I think we are getting better. I, at least I hope, I like to think we are. And, um, but it's something that has come relatively recently to me. 
but I have to say that it is, it is. And it shows. It shows in his work, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> no, you started at the American Academy in Rome, right? That's right. I started. I started. I went to the American Academy in Rome. One of the things I wanted to do was learn how to watercolor. So I did start then, but really, the, the improvement has come with repetition, but also with, with working with, you know, painting with these guys, and um, learning most from when they're the meanest to me. Which is pretty often. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> we're we're pretty honest with one another. I yeah. When does that ever happen to you, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> the the other thing I'll add too is um, I think we we started painting. We absolutely were aware of where we were in terms of learning, and I think we were respectful to each other, but suggested ways of improving. But the more we did, and the better we got at painting skies or rocks or trees or landscapes or whatever they were, I, I think we'd each venture into architecture, which is very different from painting landscapes. But also there were moments, uh, you know, when I would paint a expressive architecture piece and Tom said, that's great. You should show that to a client, you know, or I'd love to show something like that to a client. And that, that made me feel great. And it also made me think, hmm, maybe I will. It might be the client Tom wants to poach, you know, so like I, <laughs> he wants me to show this hideous uh, yeah. architecture piece. Just kidding. But no, that that was a real, it was a confidence builder. And I think there was a lot of that too, which was great. Well, and, yeah. And there were moments where we didn't know how to paint something. And, right. you know, this is, this is a pretty learned group. And so somebody would suggest, you know, well, why don't we look at this artist or that artist and how did they handle this, this issue or this, yeah. this problem? You know, how do you paint white? Uh, how do you paint something to look luminous? And so we would go and we look at these artists and, and we would emulate them and we would learn through that emulation and add it to our own, you know, uh, toolkit. Uh, well, to and let's not forget like, you know, Michael, you're you're so right, and that's like a, a beautiful thing. But then there were other times when, like Michael would say to me, you know, try a pointed brush instead of a rounded brush. <laughs> like, I mean, that's a pretty basic thing, but that's also something I learned. You know, just that's the, that's the amazing thing about this one little comment, almost an offhand remark, usually uh, uh, in a joking way can change the way you think about what you're doing and, and how you uh, do it and like, how you, like you say that. use a round brush use a use, use a rigger water. use more water yeah yeah use more water so so hang on a second because I, I think you touch you touch on something that's really really amazing and and to me it feels like this is um you know the the way i feel about this conversation i don't i don't sometimes when i do this and this is just regular convo by design of which I've been doing for 10 years now. Um, and prior to that, my interviewing, I've been in doing interviews and recorded conversations for, for close to 15 years. <clears throat> Oftentimes when I do this, there's kind of this, this process that I feel like I have to follow, you know, where I, I want to, I want to find a starting point and then I want to follow the tangents to a logical conclusion at the end. I don't feel the need to, to do that in this conversation. And, and it's really, it's quite different for me to be perfectly honest with you. And the reason why is because like, 
if I was if I was talking to a room full of designers, more on the creative side, less on the math side, um, I, it would having creative conversations about painting and feel and how do you paint how do you paint white? You know, interesting. I get that. When I'm talking to architects, there's there's usually a more scientific approach to the conversation. It's just that's just the way it's always been in my experience. What you guys are talking about, though, is something that's really interesting to me because, um, you know, post pandemic, I don't know about you guys. I am a different person than I was on Friday, the 13th of March 2020. I'm a different person. Um, I think differently about things. I think differently about what I do. I, I too, picked up. It's not a hobby. It's a, I picked up a passion. Um, I, I, I'm a wood turner. Um, and I turn, I turn wood and I learned how to do that because I was stuck at home drawing and painting and, and I wanted to, I wanted something that I could be more expressive with as you, as you get into this more and more now that you've, it's not an official, I mean, it's a, it's an, you guys are an official club, but it's not like <laughs> the, the official Nate. I know it's funny to, to make it sound that way, but what has that done for you emotionally? Um, what has it done for you psychologically, considering that the work you do is already creative, but now you have something else, a creative endeavor that you can be, that you can just be purely passionate about. Does that change the way you think about the nature of creativity? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. You know, I was, I was in Maine last week and I was taking a walk through the woods and I don't think it would have been possible to see nature the way I was seeing it if I hadn't been painting intensively like I had for the last two years with these guys, it makes you, it opens up something within you to be able to see things differently. Well, you change the way you see dramatically because I think the, one of the first things I noticed is you were sitting outside at a uh, sort of a club in the city, looking across the lawn at a bunch of spruce trees and you weren't seeing trees. You were seeing the dark shadows and the light hitting the top branches, and you were no longer, it's almost like learning another language where you should, once you start dreaming in the other language, you know you're, you're going to be fluent. But in this case, you start looking at things the way you might paint it versus the way you might look at it, which is a completely different set of vocabulary than what we would normally think with. Yeah. Um, and it's really quite fascinating because it's it changes it it teaches you another way how to see, and it may be I, taking you back to the way you first learned how. I agree. I think one of the big things about this is 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 seeing things. You literally, I look at things differently from the way I did before we started painting together. You know, I just I I drove from New York City this afternoon up to Rhode Island, where we have a house. And I looked at the tr every tree, or the way the sky hit the trees, or the or the light in the dark, or the colors, in a way I never have before. And I look at things about I look at things now, and how would I paint that? And what color? It you know, looking at a chimney right now, I know that chimney is red brick, but what color am I actually seeing? And actually, it's purple on one side, and it's yellow another. So one of the things I've I've, I've learned from painting is what do you what do you what do you see versus what do you know? I know it's red brick, but what it really is is purple and yellow. That's and that's something that, that that I've learned from painting is is uh, 
not just composition and all that kind of stuff you learn about about art but color when michael mentioned how do you paint white one of the things we've all discovered is there's no there's no white you know white is can be purple it can be yellow it can be blue it can be gray but there's there's really no white when you're when you're looking at a painting especially watercolor no, but, so Tom, if I can build on, you know, I'm in my office uh, when you talk about looking at what you see as opposed to what you know. And uh, I think architecture is so often abstracted into drawings that are idealized and simple and orthogonal, so the plans and elevation sections and so on. And there's a tyranny about elevations that seduces architects to think this is what someone's going to look at. But the truth is perspective, light, sunlight, shadow, trees, um, three-dimensional changes where your body is in position to the building makes an enormous difference to really what's going to be successful in composition. And I think since we started painting so much, I think a lot more and refer to that a lot more as I'm working on compositions with um, architects in my office. Think about what would you actually see as opposed to what you've drawn that's flat. And so I, I think that's how... I think that's how all architects used to see right, and yes. used to used to be able to apply to their work. And I think that's changed since we've moved away from drawing into using computers. Right. Exactly. It's a, it is a victim. It's certainly been victimized by the digital world versus the hand-drawn world where you had to make the hand-eye coordination work as well. Yeah. We're losing that Boy. language is Steve. Boy. That's one thing I'm learning. Forget about color composition. Literally, the, one of the things I've been struggling with, and, and Josh, if we're getting off the track of what you want to talk about, let us know. But literally, the motor control to get a clean line uh, with a brush and water and color. You know, literally, how do you, how do you look at a building and the landscape or, or whatever is a tree and have the coordination to get it down. That's one of the things I've I've been really working hard on. And Michael, I think it's one of the things you're great at. I am astounded sometimes at the how Michael can finesse a detail or a window de or, a, or a roof or something in a landscape. It's really yeah. hard. You know what I'll say to that? Um, and by the way, Tom, I, I appreciate you you uh, the offer to pull back and and say, you know, I I figured out when I threw out, let's talk about Georgia Keefe in the Grand Canyon. You're like, you guys are like, yeah, no, we're not talking about that. Okay, let's talk about roadside, roadside attractions. And you're, like, and you're like, no, we're not talking about that. Okay, what about Hearst Castle? Let's talk. You're like, no, we're not talking no, about can that. Can you imagine being married to us? Yeah. No, I cannot. That's why we get along really well. Everyone else is done with us. I have There's no expectations for this conversation. And And by the way, just so you know, for me to go into a conversation like this, you know, as a journalist, to go in and have no expectations, Very it's, it's no, to the contrary, actually, Michael, it's kind of a privilege because I never get the luxury of this. Um, oh, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about the individuals with whom I'm speaking because you are all immensely qualified um, and extraordinary at what you do. So I'm not even remotely concerned about that what I'm actually excited about and really looking forward to, this is one of those conversations where I'm kind of looking forward to going back and rewatching it and re-listening to it because I rarely get the opportunity to do this. The, the, the few occasions that I've really had to do this, 
um, go back to my days working for Playboy when I was the general general manager and program director of Playboy uh, Radio. On second there. How do we get that job? Oh, sorry. <laughs> don't. You, you don't. It's a feely kind of guy. In the it, yeah. <laughs> Got to sleep with somebody, Tom. <laughs> but one, of the, one of the things that I got to do is, and it was a, it was a joy and it was a privilege, is I got to interview all of these jazz musicians um, for my show Fantastic. as they were coming in for the, for the Playboy Jazz Festival at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles every year which is not, is not around anymore. You know, once half, half passed, it, it kind of, everything kind of, kind of passed with them. But what was really extraordinary is I got to, I got to talk to people like Wayne Shorter and Arturo Sandoval and these extraordinary voices in jazz. And I, I'm going to draw the correlation between architecture and jazz, because, you know, I don't know if you guys love jazz the way that I do, but they are extraordinarily similar. Um, architecture is a language. Jazz is a language. Architecture requires a certain amount of improvisation. Jazz requires an extraordinary amount of improvisation. Jazz, you have rules, but you don't always follow them. Architecture, you have rules, but you don't always follow them. And you go back in history and you look at someone like Frank Lloyd Wright. By the way, Frank Lloyd Wright wouldn't, in my opinion, would not be a success today because he would have been canceled prior to ever being able to show what an immense talent he was just because of his personality and the things that came out of his mouth and the things that he said, he would have been socially canceled. But under his tutelage, guys like Bruce Goff, you know, I'm in Tulsa. So a guy like Bruce Goff, who I, I know from his work in LA at LACMA, but you see what he's done here on the Boston Avenue Methodist Church. Oh, my gosh. It's extraordinary. Mm. So that kind of, you know, and by the way, <laughs> since I've had a beverage or two, I forgot where I was going with this. But what I will say is that um, I, I totally appreciate having this conversation with you guys without any rules, because traditionally, you know, my conversations with architects have always been far more structured and this is kind of a privilege for me. And I'm wondering if you guys get the same feeling when you, you're just talking, painting virtually, remotely, via Zoom, hanging out. It's always yeah. interesting where our conversations go. And they, they range all over the place. Something you just said is really interesting to me is I love when you hear a musician talk about what they do. And it's music. But so much about so much about what mu music people do is so related to what we do. We do. Artists, you know, painting is so related to architecture, and it really boils down to or or writing a novel. It, it it's all about the creative process, and it's amazing how so much you know a book is different from a house, but at the at the base of it, they're all really the same thing. You have an idea, you rough it out. You fiddle over here. You fiddle over there. You the, live the story it. begins to talk to you, and the, the way the the way the design of the house begins, the, it begins to set up its own rules. I, you know, I there's a great movie about about Isaac Mizrahi from like 25 years ago, um, and everything he does with his or he did or with his fashion design is exactly what we do with houses and architecture. So. Um, you know, it's all it, 
know. Just an incredible thing how all of these things are really related. Process. I mean, yeah. I, th I think building on that, though, it's a great point, Tom. I think this group has allowed us to explore things that we were always interested in, but maybe didn't have the time to do. Or, you know, it was interesting very early on, we would try to say, oh, well, let's study this or let's do that. Or, you know, we went through a period of all painting the same thing, which was mm -hmm. very interesting to see how we all uh, approach things differently. And, and that was, you know, on show very much at the start. And, uh, and then it sort of drifted into sharing paintings of things we had painted on our own. And it, it, it just was very free form, but it also allowed a, uh, tremendous exploration. I mean, I know certainly for myself, I really just studied things that, you know, I thought were cool and kind of would <laughs> bring those along, but I think we all did. The strong margarita you've got there, Doug. <laughs> that is that's the kind of hurtful the thing we say to each I other. Okay, okay. So let me say, let me say what I was thinking while you guys were talking about. Hey, Doug, how did you? Doug, I have a quick question for you. How did you get into Yale? Wow, I'm an artist. Clearly. Clearly, they were short. They the were short. <laughs> yeah. no, but, but beyond that, I mean, we, we, you know, we're we're obviously we obviously have developed this this really tight relationship and this communication and understanding of who we are and what we do. But that's allowed us, even you know, when we get on some of these Zoom calls and we paint, sometimes we say nothing for the entire hour. Yeah, you know, right. but it's it's That's almost you know, it's hard in itself. You know, <laughs> that is amazing. We will be painting, and we won't have said something for fifteen minutes. Yeah. Wait we're a minute, of, let me get we're this kind of communing together. Let me get this straight. You guys can go fifteen minutes without uh, saying something. No, I found yeah, incredibly yeah, hard yeah, to believe. No, no, yeah, it's full true. Zoom meeting. Everybody's up on screen. No, actually, even better. You look, you look up at the screen, and everyone's like this. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you see the top of everybody. Oh, Doug has a little bald head, spot yeah. right here oh, that yeah. nobody Make else. A pattern baldness. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. On on that note, here's what yeah. I'm doing. I'm gonna I'm gonna call intermission. I'm not stopping recording. Please carry on the conversation. I'm going to get more ice. No, I need to get another drink. I need, I but need more I'm ice. glad you called intermission. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'll be right back because I have to go recording. to another building to do that. <laughs> my vast well, estate, the estate of Tom Kligerman. <laughs> well, gosh, I'll awesome. stay. Yep. So he so when he he's not going to stop recording. It's interesting. I yeah. think that. Um, great fun, of course. I, I think that a couple of things uh, that are interesting is how we started uh, all painting different things, sharing our paintings together in that scramble when we were all wondering whether we still had a job and we were all working at home and we were just painting whatever we wanted. And we would have critique sessions. Right. And, and, uh, and then it gelled into the point I wanted to pick up from what Josh said about jazz, and that is we all as architects draw, because we're architects at a certain age, we all draw very well by hand. We can draw exactly what we see and we can draw what we want. 
<laughs> the thing about watercolors is that unpredictability means that rather like jazz, there is a riff aspect to what's happening when we all get together and we are all looking for looseness that is separate in our artwork from the precision of our architecture. I, and, I think that's true, Enki, that as architects, we have a tendency to record and to try to record every single detail. And it's like the, you know, I, I did a painting this last weekend and I shared it with the club and Doug's comment was loosen up, pal. <laughs> Dust on the rocks, not on the sky. <laughs> I had a, I had an art, uh, an, uh, an artist look at some of my watercolors I mean, 10 years ago and I was like doing nothing but sketching on vacation. And she said, you're an illustrator, you're not an artist. Yeah. Well, that's really yeah. interesting. Right. I'm a bitch. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> were you like, were you like, were you like, wait a minute? No, I'm an architect. I'm, I'm not, a, not an illustrator. I'm an architect and no, I'm an I, artist. Well, I, I think know what I, she was exactly right because we, we are so used to in our jobs, we're recording either what we want to see built, what we want our clients to imagine, or something that's around us or we're adding on to a building. You want to draw what's there. And the great thing about, watercolor and its unpredictability is there is something that you can't predict that's going to happen. So there's this wild card element like five musicians playing jazz. And that's one of the reasons we moved from all painting, different paintings that we shared and critiqued, which was the first I don't know, six or eight months. We started thinking, how are we going to loosen up? How are we going to make this happen? We decided if we painted the same thing, speed painting, like we often do when we're sitting in front of a building, you've got half an hour before the tour begins. What are we going to do? You do a quick impression, you throw some color on it, and you're done because you're in a sketchbook. We started painting on uh, Sundays for an hour, hour and a quarter, hour and a half. We'd pick the same subject, we'd launch right in, and we had to be done in an hour, hour and a half. Well, and let's I, let's, let's yeah. look at the at the opposite of that. You're sitting in the desert in Santa Fe, <laughs> and if you don't finish your painting in 15 minutes, your palette, you know, is you know, it's hard, right? Yeah, but they lead to the same there. result. They lead to the same result. Yeah. If you move quickly, you don't have time to obsess, and so you're throwing down an impression, and you're you're listening to the paint, and you're just letting it yeah. happen. And I've learned more by that than anything else. I think personally. Well, and we also had the tradition of being architects and having renderers either in our employ or working with them, and. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very tough thing to present a painting to a client that expresses emotion. Like, you can't really do that. Like, you need to be showing them a rendering, an illustration. And well, yeah. but I, you know, I, I disagree with that a little bit, Doug. I like how Tom likened architecture to a book. I think the, the difference between a book and a movie a book allows you to live between the lines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a looser painting allows that as well, as opposed to an illustration. You know, the problem with computer renderings today is you can't live between the lines. You know, it is what it is. It's I can't imagine yourself in that I, moment. I think clients are more open to this sort of emotional, interpretive. I think, you know, clients would probably love to see some sort of loose, notion mm -hmm. i think we i think we give, should give them more credit uh, you know i think one of the things we we tend to do is over control what we show yep. 
And um, I don't know. I, I, You're saying you're controlling, Tom? Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> I love I have, it. I By no the response. way, I love how all of this just comes down to who's going to take the next shot at Tom. <laughs> I think it's yeah. awesome. I, thank you. I don't understand because I'm such a nice guy. I'm so supportive and loving. <laughs> no, Do I, you at think least you're smiling now? Well, it's there's no question that clients actually like all of that type of thing because we actually started whenever you do something, you might do a couple little postcards and then you bring them out and say, well, we think it's going to look like this. You, We've really noticed now they never even get halfway through the meeting without those disappearing into somebody's purse very quickly or, or a book somewhere and they're never on the table. Uh, and you know that they have their their Christmas cards or something or invitations for the next six years because they've all migrated. And that, that's kind of a night, that's kind of an interesting shift from what you're really talking about, or, you know, it's that feeling. And I think it's appreciated along with the more detailed work that we've all done over our entire careers, you know, that are, that we think of as more architectural drawings. Um, and I think they're very happy to see that sort of thing. Now, what about? You know what? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. No, Finish that thought. I was going to. Well, the thought I was going to move on to is, is you know, some of the different things we've done of of traveling by painting or imitating an artist to learn a technique is, and then, and in some cases, donating paintings to help raise money for different events is. Uh, what I think maybe it'd be interesting to hear what different people within the group have been asked for, asked to do now that, that there's some recognition that we're doing this, uh, what other, what other guys in the group, what, what have they it's, got? I keep no, it's, asked, it's, it's really scary, Steve. It's, paint, it's scary. Know? I was just asked to do a watercolor for the cover of a new book that's coming out. Mm -hmm. I am. I feel it must totally be desperate. Out. Yeah. <laughs> clearly are Anki. They clearly are because thank you. Thank you. Josh, you're Bob's right. See what happens? No, but that's kind of amazing. I think, you know, people I don't know, maybe maybe we're better than we think we are. Maybe you know, there's some mystery. People look at the watercolors and they go, God, how do you do that? Part of me thinks anybody can do it as long as you spend enough time at it. But um I it was it was it was uh, I felt honored, but also kind of worried and scared about this idea yeah. of doing a watercolor for cover of a book. You know what's interesting, at least to me. So, when when you all went to school for architecture, what if you had to put a percentage on what the curriculum that you went through had to do with? feeling emotion the artistic nature of what architects do did any of that exist oh absolutely Zero. oh really oh yeah. really and it's, it's even no. worse today no, i think a lot no for me nothing well you it's went to course today no, i went to yale architecture well and i just i just taught at yale and the problem is, is that they don't even require drawing today. Yeah, that's it's, a it's not a requirement. Yeah. And so, you know, to, to give a student a sketchbook and say, you know, draw that tree. And it's like, well, why draw a tree? Well, 
do you really understand what a lentil does if you don't understand what a tree is, you know? And so well, that's amazing, this process that they go through and this understanding that they come, that they arrive at and understanding the tectonics of building from un understanding the things that your buildings are made of um, by observing them, by understanding them. And this isn't something architecture school teaches today. It's all, you know, uh, done on the computer. It's all done on a screen with no scale, no, um, you know, there's no emotion. There's... How about when you started in school, Michael? Uh, you know what's funny is I took a rendering class and everybody was using markers and I watercolored mm. and he gave me a B minus because I didn't use markers. Michael, that's better than the C plus we give you. <laughs> I love I love this group, but I asked the question because what I find really interesting is when I, you know when I talk to designers, and they talk about what they <clears throat> what the curriculum was like in interior design. It's drawing, it's fabrics, it's materials, it's it, you know it's the materiality of things. It's they don't understand no that today. No business. There's no business classes that interior designers are are exposed to there's no either technical what's that architects aren't either there's one no i get i get that i get that but but doug what you are exposed to is is the math and science part of the design business and it's just interesting that class. well what i think is interesting is you get the you get the 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 scope and scale and topography and you get all of these things but you don't you don't get the at least what i from what i understand you don't get the the emotion i i feel i i feel strongly that great not good great architecture is emotional and it's hard to demonstrate it that human. it's what it's what makes it human yeah, yeah absolutely and it's that emotional and that's part of what you do and that's that's the artistic nature of architecture you know, it's, it's, it's I hear you part. say that because you, you, that's part of what we should be doing. And so, you know, it, it's really stepping out of, out of the comfort zone of proportion and math and elevations and all the rectilinear drawings and stuff like that. But I think one of the lessons of the Whiskey Watercolor Club is to is to really go for feeling and emotion and color and surprises and and maybe things being a little out of control. Um, I think it might make for stronger how it, buildings. And I'm really proud of the fact that since Tom's been painting with the Whiskey Watercolor Club, that his architecture has gotten so much better. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that coming a mile away. I didn't know where it was going. I didn't you know, know what? where it was going to hit, but for I knew while, it was going to hit. For the rest of this podcast, I'm just going to listen. <laughs> I guarantee you that's not true. I <laughs> promise you that's not true. No, that will never he happen. Help me out here. Help me. Anki, 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 please help me. <laughs> Where, where's the mute tongue button? <laughs> oh, that's that's your help. There's Wait, your, there's your lifeline for Anki. Something nice. It's but it's true. I mean, I think I think your point. When I think about the great architects, you walk into the 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 staircase of the Laurentian Library, or you look at work by you know. Amanda Branzini, who's not a, a household name, but is incredibly powerful, emotional architecture, you know, um, or a great 
um, arts and crafts house, there is an emotion there that those architects were able to bring into their work that I hope that what we're doing here allows us to bring into our work. Yeah, I you know mean, what? I think the Whiskey Watercolor Club, definitely all of us were in school in the postmodern era, you know, where traditional architecture and a respect for it was returning to the uh, academy. And we all worked for people <laughs> who had an education and appreciation for that. And I think we've continued that. The emotion part, I don't know. I feel like when I was in school, it was a very heavily Lou Kahn influenced school. So there was an appreciation for infinity. Yeah. Uh, I think that's maybe where the emotion came in. You know, and what does a brick want? What is a I have a slightly different view and say that yeah, well, maybe to build on that, that I don't think I had any teachers at school that focused on the emotional impact of architecture, but we were exposed to a lot of wonderful work by great architects and you like Bruce Goff. I mean, you can mention there's a wide variety of the people that we love, um, you know, the, the classical architects mm -hmm. too and you know, Renaissance architects. But I think that we all as a group individually reacted emotionally to the works that were most important to us. And I think we've all probably learned uh, personally to react and work as emotionally based architects just because that's kind of an affinity we have. I never felt there was that environment at school, but it's an absolutely critical part of the success of what we do. And it may be why we're all primarily residential architects because we are building dreams for clients, you know, yes. and that's where it resonates the most. And where there's an emotional tie to the client. That, that they have an opinion as well and they respond to the emotional side as much as the factual side so there's a real there's truly a relationship that it's uh beyond the the uh factual portion and, and you and really relate it to this group like i've absolutely shared things with this group that i was thinking about in projects or you know that been able to build on and investigate here uh, in a far more sophisticated way. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, well, and, for, you know. and I think that's that's true, Doug. I mean, Josh, part of the reason why this group came together is we're all like-minded in that we're hungry to understand more about that emotional quality about architecture. And so that's why we were all drawn to uh, the organizations that we met each other through, which is the Stone Foundation and uh, uh, Lutchen's Trust America, is because we we followed those architects that understood that innate quality of architecture. And it, it's what drives us all within our work and why we're interested in, in painting uh, and seeing the world through these artist eyes that allow us to be better architects and understand that human emotion. I, I wonder, like though, when you, when you look at these architects, <clears throat> did Lutchens think about emotion? Did Michelangelo think about emotion? He had to, have Tom. Absolutely. Do you think, Absolutely. Do you think that Palladio thought about emotion? Absolutely. I'm not so sure. Well, I don't know if they thought about it, but it, they absolutely Palladio. recognized the wonder that mm -hmm. a person walking through a building experiences as they move through their structure. I agree with that, Doug. Yeah, that's good. They understood how to pack a punch. They knew that when I mean, that's there in the Laurentian library. <laughs> Come on. You, you know what yeah. I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to, what I'm going to say here is, and, and by the way, I, I run the risk 
of sounding incredibly stupid being a journalist amongst architects. And I, and I recognize that, but I, you know, from my own experience, it's really interesting to me. Um, and Tom, you and I have spoken because I think the second time you and I spoke, um, you had done a design house. You were doing a design house where you did this wild things, octagonal room that was absolutely extraordinary to me. And it was because of the, the what you and your team did was to tell this story about a space. And it made me think about years and years ago when I, I uh, toured the Neutra VDL house in Silver Lake. And to see what Richard Neutra did with with this home and Dione's room and how the how the use the use of water was made to to create a nautical environment against Silver Lake you know and it was just interesting to me how the whole structure came together and all the stories that were in this in this one building and i feel like the idea of storytelling is not prevalent in architecture today the way it has been in the past. And it's funny because I see you guys laughing and I'm not sure if you're laughing at me no. or no. what is what is happening here? What is happening? But anyway, the idea of the storytelling and it comes back to the idea of what you're painting. All five of you can be painting the exact same thing and your stories will all be completely different. It and is I think it's extraordinary that how different if we one of the things we we sort of evolved into is as Anki or someone said, we started we started painting different things. We talk about different paintings and and then we started saying, look, we're gonna paint the same picture. It is amazing to me how different each of our interpretation of that view is. I it, and you know, I sort of, I, I sort of, of wonder, can, can't we all just paint what we see? And but we, but the the message is, we all, all everybody sees something differently. And there's an emotional filter there. Yeah. And the the other connection to that is when we've been traveling together, which we'd love to do when we can, although we live all over the country. When we travel and paint together, we sit down and we paint the same thing in real life in plain air, and so we are painting the same thing, and we we sit and look at it, compare our paintings all the time. And that is so instructive. I think it's one of the things that led us to paint the same thing when we're on Zoom, is that there's an immediacy. There is that learning from what someone else has done. Yeah. yeah. And seeing seeing the differences and the similarities. And the things you see that are different. I mean, even when Michael and I went out one morning a couple of weeks ago in London, and we sat at different ends of a park bench to paint, and we had completely different views of exactly the same little park structure. Because his end, he couldn't see the building behind. And my end, that's all you could see was the building behind it. And it looked like this little thing be in front of it all. And we could but, but beyond, but, but beyond that, I was Steve. hanging in a pub in uh, Ireland. <laughs> we were, <laughs> that's the thing is, you've got to paint where you can. So we've started painting on trains, in pubs, in bars, in airplanes. And so, yeah, you can do what you can. And Tom and I were both painting scenes that we'd sketched at Stowe Gardens. And I think Tom was just drinking a stronger drink than I was. I mean, his stuff was <laughs> wild. <laughs> well, 
Anki and I literally did watercolors on a train in India, traveling from Chandigarh to to New Delhi. So great, you know, with the uh, we've painted everywhere, but it, uh, yeah. What else? That's ex that's extraordinary. I'm curious if two questions. When did when did you each start painting, and how has that affected? or impacted or informs the way that you work as architect? Michael, you go first. I started painting earlier, I, I would say high school. Um, my aunt gave me a watercolor kit. And so I carried that into college. I didn't realize that you could use it in architecture. Um, and it wasn't until later I saw these journals that there were actually watercolor renderings of, of buildings that were so evocative that I thought, wow, I mean, this applies to architecture as well. Uh, I I wasn't very disciplined about drawing or, or painting often enough to get better at it. Um, it was just good enough. And it, it wasn't until the rigor of painting with this group on a regular basis every Sunday that we really began to, yeah, it was, it was more than what I call water uh, than you know, driving a Ferrari on ice, you know, where you just, yeah, you thought you were in control, but you weren't. Uh, it's developing that language as Steve said, to be able to, you know, know that when you drop a color into another color, the reaction that you're going to get. And, and it's that practice over time that gets you to understand the median and how to express yourself. Uh, it takes time. Is that true that you did not do your watercolors professionally that much? For the but last, not, until a few not, years ago? Yeah, I, I started doing renderings, Doug, but not watercolors right. for the fun of it, if you would. Yeah. That's and there's a difference. There's a big difference, right? There's a huge it's difference. Very technical. There's a huge difference. And what is a very emotional? I started doing water. I did do watercolors in college, and um, they were dreadful things. At least I thought they were. And I didn't gain the confidence. Yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so believe me, I knew I they were. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You're awesome, dude. Yeah. All right. <laughs> What's Sorry. amazing is that hanging out with this group has given me the confidence <laughs> to continue. I don't know why. <laughs> but uh, no, there was a very interesting, uh, I, I was at some lecture where uh, he was lecturing, uh, he was speaking about John Sohn. And Sohn said something like, you know, don't, uh, don't um, as the architect, you don't necessarily have to be the one to do the amazing watercolor that conveys the idea. Yeah, you hard have Joseph to have Gandhi. the idea. What? Hard Joseph Gandhi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Where's Gandhi Joe? is unbelievable. Joe, like, he made him. so yeah. impossible. Yeah. Stone didn't have to do we it. We could use him back again. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. I know. Yeah. Be busy. I'd have to do five. Here's what I'm going to do. Going for, I'm going to. I'm just going to. My next project. I'm just going to hire Michael to render it. <laughs> I'm getting there. You'll get lots of emotions. In fact, I can't wait to see what emotions you get. Yeah. Exactly. 
Well, you'll be talking to the clients next, um, <laughs> Doug. Don't be moving across. All right. So listen. So we're we're at an hour, and and I always like to be respectful of of everyone's time. Do you guys have a few extra minutes to hang out a little bit? Sure. Sure. And oh, yeah. Anyone in a hurry? I mean, I, I have yeah. a few people I got to talk to, but a few minutes I can do. Sure. Okay. Last last topic of of conversation here that that I want to I just kind of want to explore an idea with you guys for a second. Um, I've been working a lot. I, I took a course this year through MIT. Uh, it was a no code AI and machine learning course because I'm 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 really really interested in in AI. And what's what has come to to be for me is that I've I've learned and I've really realized AI does not mean artificial intelligence. Our AI is uh, is accumulated intelligence. It really is. There is no god chip, right? So there's no computer that is creating new works. Everything that someone finds via AI is already in the space. Right. Right. So it's not original. It's a derivative. It's a it's a byproduct of something that's already been done. As as creatives yourselves, as architects, you know, your work that you have created over the past 20, 30 years of doing what you do, someone can put a prompt into a, you know, into a, an AI, into a chat GPT or 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 other algorithm. And it will deliver something that is new to them, but it's still a derivative, a byproduct of what you do. The thing that can't be replicated is when you create a one-off watercolor of a, 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 a project of something that has come out of your mind into the form of watercolor. You have almost created the, the intellectual property version of a, of a safety room you know, where someone can't steal that because if you show an, a, a watercolor in an AI version of a project, it's like, oh yeah, they, they completely stole this and here's where it came from. Does that, does that impact the way you think about the IP version of the projects that you create? Does it, does it affect the way you, you view the art that you create? How do you feel about all of these new tools that are coming online and what they do to basically usurp the artistry of what an architect does. You know, it's interesting you, you, you say that because I've had people send me, you know, oh, hey, I designed this building and I asked it to do a, a watercolor in the style of Michael Lindbergh. And really. I was like, well, and then you dare send it to me? <laughs> Was it was it was it representative of what you do? Yeah, it, it was oddly like my watercolors, but and okay, I know I'm going to get hammered by the crew here. But it wasn't, yeah, it, it I mean, wait, 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 wait. Let me set the T first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you I mean, for I mean, the like Michael, Michael, go okay. ahead. We're ready. <laughs> <laughs> It was just weird. So, all right. Go like this. Say it. Say it. <laughs> Come on. I'm done, guys. 
That was it? No, go ahead, Michael. Come on. Don't no, worry that, about these you know, guys. It, I got your back. Oddly, like one of my paintings, but it, was, it wasn't it was good. You know, it, <laughs> it wasn't the same. No, we had we did the same thing. We had a whole sort of afternoon looking at AI. And one of the things we had all these AI things was it was to create houses in our style. It was kind of there. It just wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, which gave me hope. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I think Josh, your point is a good one. I think that you, there's. It's said that there's not there are no new ideas, but I think what we're able to do as designers, particularly with a lot of experiences, you can synthesize so many thousands of things that you've seen before that you can you can uh, pick odds and ends from all of them into a composition that becomes unique for this particular situation in a way that luckily with the human brain is still superior to what AI can do. I think that our our brains are able to filter emotion and we have perspective and um, um, we have judgment about we can prioritize the success of one component over another to create a new composition that's fragments of 1,000 things. I mean, we're taking in all this information over say 50 years, you know, longer in Nike's case. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and processing it through, you know, these these emotions and these life experiences and, and as Anki says, you know, these judgments that we have that a, that a machine can't replicate. Yeah, um, but, but what that, I completely agree, but what what that misses is the magic of the moment which is something ai will never do which is the water from the jar on your brush and the paint and you just don't know what's going to happen with that paper i mean yeah. we could have these great conversations about like just to leave out alone out like which which press did you use cold press hot press 140 390 and there are so many variables and so many different things happen and ai can never do that yeah josh it's amazing to me how much we can talk about on this on this subject i mean it's endless and you know we get together and you would think after however long we've been doing this five years that we would run out of things to talk about and it is astounding to me how much we talk about and it's really centered on one conversation which is watercolor yeah yeah i i love that and and like i said i am i am respectfully of your time gentlemen i i i will tell you this has been one of my favorite conversations in the past 10 years of of doing this show um partially because i entered from a from a place of feeling really really uncomfortable in in so far as not understand not knowing where we were going to go with this i'm usually kind of a control freak tom you can relate and, <laughs> and, well, and i'm so glad you're piling in on tom the hang of it. Peter, uh, like it. Oh, look at that and, <laughs> and this dog. was this was an absolute privilege and um and i appreciate all of your time and i would i with i would love to do this again sometime well Thank josh you, can i if I, I if i may speak for the group it would be really fun to have you join us for one of our Sunday afternoon watercolor sessions. Even, and you yeah. can have a paintbrush if you want, or you can simply be there as an observer, conversationalist, and, and participant. Critic. 
you, it be, just be warned there might be 20 minutes of silence when you're just sitting there but it'll be fun to have you in one of our one of our sessions yes and you hey, may can I, record it and you may record can it I, can i just can i just say say one thing um first of all i would be i would be absolutely honored second of all what i would love to do is if i could do that and just bring my phone out to the studio and i can turn you know, I can turn some wood. I can turn. I get. I can just turn some things while while, while you guys are put it on. You just have to put it on mute. You you can, no. You can. <laughs> I have another idea, Josh. You know, you could do. You could pick. Our, Josh, you could pick our subject to paint. Oh, there you go. Ooh, you can come to us with come to us with like five options. We'll pick one and we'll paint it, and you can turn your, you know. And then if we don't like it, Josh, we'll, take it. we'll pick. Yeah, our I have no, I have no doubt. You'll tell me it sucks, <laughs> and we're not doing it because that's kind of what you guys have already done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, get, I get it. No, great deal. Yeah. Love it. All right, and at the end, everybody will turn it up and yeah, show fine. you what they did. I love it, myself included. Okay, hey, Josh, I love it. We're right. gonna. I'll, I not I'll only do that. enjoyed yeah you know, this this hour with you, but I enjoyed these guys. You know, yeah. spending this time with them yeah. as well. It's fun. It's always this fun. It doesn't get better. No, it doesn't. This is Thanks, awesome, Josh. gentlemen. Thank you. Thank, thank you for the you. time. Thanks so much, Josh. Bye. Thank you, Josh. Thanks so much. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to this installment of Drinking About Design featuring the Whiskey Watercolor Club. Thank you, Tom, Anki, Michael, Douglas, and Steve for sharing your stories and incredible talents. Thank you for doing this. Uh, for notes, drink recipes, and further links to the stories and work you heard about here, check the show notes. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>